You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. It is Thursday. Oh my God, has it been a long ass day for old lady dog. Uh, woke up um, super early. Started my day with my um, habits. I'm trying to get into habits. I've been reading a lot about productivity and about being happier and, and the more that you can just create a lot of habits um, that you, and the earlier you can start them so that you don't start every day just like, what do I do? You just have like a plan that makes you feel good. That's the best, that's the best way to approach life is what I'm learning. So got up, meditated, fucking brushed my teeth, said hi to Trevor. Oh, who's Trevor? <laughs> Let me tell you who Trevor is. Trevor is a spider that I found in my bathroom last yesterday. I think I met him. Um, I don't know why, but the second I saw him, I was like, your name is Trevor and I feel a bond with you. I think I, yeah, I think I ran into him yesterday. <clears throat> was the first time that we crossed paths, crossed webs. And uh, yeah, he has, he was just like hanging by my toothbrush holder. I mean, my, my bathroom is kind of like a fucking nightmare right now. It's just like shit all over the countertop. And, um, I went to grab my toothbrush and I saw Trevor and I just like freaked out. <laughs> and, um, um, and he's pretty big too, but he's the size probably like a, he splayed out his legs. I don't even want to know how big he could be, but like with him kind of scrunched up, you know, the way he is just the way Trevor be. He'd be about like the size of a quarter. I mean, he's pretty big. His body is significant. And I don't know what kind of spider he is. I could probably, I'll probably look it up later. But um, I saw him and I was like, dude, not going to mess with you. I'm too scared of you to like try to capture you and, and take you outside. So um, I'm just going to let you be and hope that you don't crawl on me in the middle of the night because I will like scream and, and try to kill you. And I don't want to kill you. I don't like killing spiders. I'm staring at a spider right now too. I'm in my parents' office and there's another um, Trevor that's up in the um, windowsill, which is kind of cool. We have tons of spiders in windowsills around my house and I just get to watch them kind of forage for food. And like I sometimes I see a fly buzzing around and I'm like, oh, that fly is stuck in that window. He definitely will fall into that web and he will be a delicious meal. Yeah, this spider is just chilling hardcore. I mean, this is a gigantic spider. I don't know why I used to be so scared of spiders and now I'm not now. But when I see one, I mean, I'm not like, hey, I want to touch it, but I just don't freak out like I used to. Um, that is not to say that if this was a house centipede, I wouldn't fucking scream and cry and need therapy um, because house centipedes are disgusting and they're so fast and they never just like chill. They're just like always on the go and they're very unpredictable. But um, yeah, I saw this spider yesterday and I don't know, I felt like it was like looking at me and I felt like I was kind of having a connection with it, um, clearly very lonely. And I don't know, I was just like, you're not bothering me, I'm not bothering you. You picked this bathroom for a reason and you could pick any room in our house and you picked this and you're here and I'm gonna um, accommodate you. So at one point I did move, I had to grab my toothbrush and it startled Trevor and he like went back into his hole and I was like, maybe I'll never see him again. Boom. Um, no, that's not true because, uh, yeah, he did go away and I thought I wouldn't see him again. But then later that night 
I went into the bathroom and he was there again, staring at me in the middle of the night. I turned on the light and he was just there and we just looked at each other for a little bit. And I was like, see you later. And that's when I named him Trevor because it is a hilarious name for a spider, but it's the first name that came to my mind when I saw him. And I love him. And uh, we're gonna be together forever. Just kidding. I don't know how long spiders live, but, um, and I, this bird's gotta fly uh, pretty soon here. I feel pretty good in terms of um, moving on with my life. I'm starting to create a plan on what to do next, which I haven't really done yet. I've been talking about what's next, but I haven't had any real plans of action and they're starting to like come together, I think. I don't know. It could all be uh, upended by, you know, if I get this reality show picked up, still pitching that and pitching it tomorrow three times. Today has been the longest day and tomorrow's going to be another long ass day in front of my computer on Zoom meetings. Being on, that's the thing, people have Zoom meetings all day and I don't think they have to be on. When I'm in these things, I am like having to talk like this and host things and be like today I did the Drew Barrymore show, which she has a new daytime talk show coming out. And so I went to Starbucks this morning from 8 a.m. until 10.30 and I wrote stuff and prepared for that performance, but you never really can prepare for these things because this is a conversation that can go really anywhere. So you can write all the jokes you want, but you don't know if you're gonna even get to them and you don't know if you're gonna remember them because you can't have your notes in front of you. So there's, it's, you know, uh, I did at Starbucks this morning see a man walk in and without a mask and this one, and they, uh, the girl was like, sir, you have to wear a mask. And he was like, this is the best I can do. And he like puts his mask over his face or his, shirt over his face. And she goes, that's not a mask, sir. You're gonna have to leave. Or like, wait outside until you can find a mask. And he's like, will you bring it to me outside? And she's like, no, I actually have a job to do in here and I'm not a waitress. <laughs> she didn't say that, but she was a little bit like snippy with him. And then it just grew and grew until he was like pretty belligerent. He was like a normal looking dude, but man, getting embarrassed in front of people at Starbucks makes people get, get so crazy and irate. And I started slowly filming and I just was hoping that he saw me film him so that he would freak out and like assault me in some way that, not assault me, but like just, I want some action kind of. Um, although I was terrified that he was gonna see me. I really tried to conceal my phone, but I did get footage of him freaking out. And this woman walked by him on her way out. She grabbed her drink and was leaving and just, she must've said like, just go find a mask, sir. And he just goes, fuck you. Like he screamed it. And then the Starbucks employee, whose job it is not to enforce these mask rules. It sucks that like every, people think they can get away with not wearing a mask so much that they can just, uh, you know, the, these, these baristas have to be suddenly law enforcement. It's just not fair. And I honestly felt like the guy was so angry when he finally left. I was like, he's embarrassed enough right now to go get a gun and come back and like seek revenge. I was a little bit worried. If he would have been a little bit more deranged looking or maybe, I mean, dude, he was just a regular guy in a polo, but I was like, if this guy has a gun and he, you caught him on the wrong day, he would come back and like retaliate. I'm surprised it hasn't happened. I mean, the, when you make white men embarrassed, boy, do they freak out. I mean, he, it was so embarrassing to watch. What a loser. Just, go, if I walk into a place and I've forgotten my mask, which happens sometimes, 
I don't ever walk in that hasn't happened yet, but it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that I would accidentally walk into a store and forget. No, it has happened. I went into Walgreens a couple weeks ago and I was just not thinking, and I didn't see anyone wearing a mask coming out, which is usually what reminds me to put one on. You know, when you see other people with it, you go, oh shit, my mask. Um, I didn't see anyone as I was walking in and then I got in there and I was in there for like 10 minutes, but you know, alone, it was not, I didn't see anyone or else I would have immediately been like, shit, my mask. Um, and then I saw someone and I was like, oh fuck. And I like, you know, scrambled to put it on. I don't want to be someone who doesn't wear a mask. It's so embarrassing. You should be embarrassed. And the guy should have just gone, oh, I'm sorry. And then go get a mask. Go borrow one from your friend. I think he was sitting outside with like some associates. And so he was like sitting on the patio and came in to get his drink. And she was like, get out. It was so humiliating. And him just like his outbursts. I mean, this probably is a guy that never thought he would be capable of behaving in such a way. Um, and it just, it, this whole thing is making people just act so erratically. It was awesome. It was so awesome. Let me see if I can pull it up and see if you guys can hear any of this recording. I'll just tell you what he said about this. She goes, sir, I mean, this is a minute and a half into him fighting with her about it. And she's like, I don't know what to tell you. You have to leave. And he goes, and she goes, in the fact that you're yelling, you could be spewing your droplets. We don't know what you have, so you have to go. I can't keep, in, I can't keep talking to you like this. And he goes, you could have the bubonic plague. And what could I do? And you're touching my coffee. And she goes, what? Like, she was just, like, very confused. Meanwhile, they were, like, Lion King showed. Literally, the circle of life was playing. Ironically enough, the song that I talked about yesterday on the podcast um, was playing while this was all happening. The circle of life. Sir, put on a mask. I don't have to do anything. This is the best I can do. And it moves us so. It was so funny. It was awesome. I love seeing people freak out. It did make me feel unsafe though. Not gonna lie. I was like, this guy could come and shoot us up. But that's the world we live in where I even have to worry about that kind of thing. <sighs> so I went home and I did the Drew Barrymore show, which was great. She was so nice. And um, everything you want Drew Barrymore to be and more. Oh no! Guys, the sound of me screaming just then was because I just realized I was recording it on the wrong audio setting, and I am not going to re-record it. I am really sorry it sounded so echoey. I just can't. I've had the longest day, and I just don't have it in me, and I felt like that was pretty a pretty good chunk of, of audio in terms of content-wise. Um, so there you have it. Just going to leave it. It's been a long day. I did the Drew Barrymore show. My mom was a part of the segment that will air in January and it was really, really fun and we killed it and I loved it. And then, um, and then I had a conversation with someone for a radio show that was an hour long. Then I did a YouTube show for Comedy Central that, oh no, then I taped the, this podcast, the second half of this podcast that you're about to hear very shortly with Sarah Schaefer. Great conversation with my old pal, Sarah Schaefer, who has a new book out called Grand that I recently just f blew through. So good. I'm reading a couple books right now. And that was, um, that was the first memoir I've read in a while and it was fantastic. And it, I, I'm in it. So that made it even more of a joy because I knew I, 
I like saw my part coming and I was like so excited about it. And she said really nice things about me. And she reminded me of some things that I didn't even remember from our experience together hosting Nikki and Sarah live on MTV first two seasons in, in two seasons in 2013. Then I did a YouTube show for Comedy Central um, where this guy interviewed me, this journalist, Josh Horowitz, who's, you know, a very accomplished, um, great interview. Um, I don't know that I was that great on it. And I, then as I was taping it, I realized this isn't your best work, Nikki. And it's going on YouTube. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, fuck, why did I agree to this? Because YouTube is only mean to me. I've never been on there. I don't read any comments on there, but I know just from people looking at them that it is a terrible place where people like to take me down. And so putting up a video of me, even if someone watches it and likes me, you're going to read the comments and then you're going to see what other people see and then you're going to hate me. And you, I know you go, no, Nikki, it won't affect our opinion of you. It's subconscious, dude. It, it will. I just hate comments so much. I haven't been on Instagram for two days. Took it off my phone. It's Monday night. I think maybe, so. no, Monday night. So it's been two days. And it is, it's great, man. I feel so good. I feel like I'm on vacation. I feel like it, there's so much going on there and that I don't even know about and I don't care. And it feels great. I have to get back on there because I have to post at some point. I mean, there's been things I've wanted to post on my um, story, like Trevor. I wanted to take a picture of him for you guys. There's stuff I want to post, but man, it's nice to not do it for a little bit. And to actually do other work that feels way more satisfying in terms of accomplishments. This book I'm reading called Irresistible. I'm not, go, you guys, get this book. Open your eyes to the fact that our phones are ruining our lives. And I know that's scary because you're like, I don't want to give up my phone. Honestly, it's helping me step away from it. And I was so, anything that makes me feel bad about being on my phone, I never want to read about. This is not that. It's not going to make you feel bad about it. It's going to naturally take away your desire to be on your phone as much in a way that just happens organically. And you don't even realize, you're not like abstaining from it and like white knuckling it. I feel good that I'm not on Instagram. I'm going to put it back on because I need to get back on to post some shit. But um, these phones are designed to make us addicted. The people that put them together and conceived of them and build them, the apps they build, everything, even the apps that are supposed to be good for you, the wellness apps, the apps that uh, count your steps, the apps that track your sleep, all of this shit is terrible for you. It's fascinating. I'm wearing a Fitbit right now. It counts my steps. You know, oh, good. Oh, it's so good. It makes you do 10,000 steps a day. Or does it force you to do something you don't want to do every day and reach a goal that you don't necessarily need to do every day to, to function normally? Could that be it? I didn't even realize that about these fitness apps. These are really bad for us. And I know you're like, no, it keeps me in shape. No, no, no. I mean, I know, but we should just be able to know when we need exercise. We shouldn't need a fucking watch to buzz and let us know. And then when we don't reach that goal, we go on a mindless walk just to accomplish it instead of going for a walk when we actually want to go for a walk. Can you imagine doing things that you want to do when your body just tells you you want to do them instead of just doing things because you feel like you have to? This whole book is not, it's not just about cell phone addiction. It's about 
addicted, being addicted to goal setting, which I didn't even know was a thing. There's amazing anecdotes in there. I'm trying to think of one to share with you. Okay. So for instance, the word goals, they talk about in this book, it says in the book, the concept of setting one goal after another of perfectionism is also quite new. The word barely existed in the early 1800s, but it seems to be everywhere now. In 1900, the word appeared in just 0.1% of every book. So that means you'd need to read more than 1,000 books to see the word goal written just once. Today, roughly 5% of all books, or one in 20 books, mention the idea of perfectionism. Um, and that just might, he said it just might mean that we have more words to describe goals now than they did before. Or maybe they had more words back then. I don't know what, but he pretty much says it like Americans and just people, I think globally, this goal setting is ruining us. And I relate. It never feels like enough. He gives so many, so many anecdotal accounts of people achieving these insane goals and it's still not being enough. And I don't know about you, but any goal I set for myself, and I don't really set many goals. I just, you know, I get asked to do things or I, you know, I get something exciting and then I accomplish it and the high from it wears off immediately. And they discovered that when people play games and gambling addicts, that the winning part is not even the part that they like. They like the part seconds before they win. And that's always what I enjoy the most too in any of these things is like the, the leading up to accomplishing it. Cause once it's done, actually, I, you know what? That's a lie. I like the first night after I've done a taping and then the next morning I wake up and I go, okay, what do I got to do next? And then it starts over and there's really no sense of accomplishment. There is, but it's, you know, it's never enough and it will never be enough. There's, I know that I'm not, uh, it is an illusion because I constantly think that the next thing will, why would I look forward to the next thing then? Or why would I even set the next goal? I mean, isn't the goal just to be happy? So I keep setting goals, but really they're worthless and it will never be enough. And I don't know what the answer is. I'm hoping this book answers it, but I'm flying through this book. I love it so much. It's called Irresistible. I really recommend it. It will just open your eyes to so many things and you will be a smarter person at the end of it. I feel like I'm, I don't know, getting Instagram off my phone has made me spend so much more time reading. Um, I'm just loving it. I love reading. I, w I missed it so much. I, I don't know what made me get away from it, but I'm back in, baby. And I'm about to talk to uh, an author of one of my favorite books during the quarantine, Grand. Um, Sarah Schaefer is going to join us right after this. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Um, joining us, as I told you before, is one of my um, closest friends and people who knows me better than pretty much anyone because we've been through so much together. She just wrote a book that I devoured and was really trying to take my time with because I was having so much fun with, but I just couldn't put it down, which is such a cliche thing to say, but I really couldn't. And I finished it so quickly. Um, the book is Grand, a memoir, and it was by my friend, uh, comedian, TV host and writer, Sarah Schaefer. Hey, Sarah. Uh, hi. Dude, uh, 
you, I, I like talked to you before I read the book and we, I was so excited that you had written it and so proud of you, but it's so good. And I'm, Thank you. I'm just like, I don't know. I had so many feelings when reading it because I knew so much of it, but there was so much about you that I found out through reading it that I didn't know. And um, I just really recommend it to anyone who is has gone through loss or has gone through feeling not good enough or feeling... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, it's... I mean, it has something for everyone in it, but it's just... It's funny... It's um, sad, and I learned a, a lot and, and a lot of things about myself too. I mean, not not just because I was in it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally about myself. Interesting. No. <laughs> um, before we even get into it, yeah. Like, what was how was the process writing a book? Because I've been very open about how I've attempted to write one on here or on the podcast. I've been open mm. about attempting to write one, and it's like. It's the hardest thing I can ever imagine doing. Yeah, it was really definitely the hardest creative project I've ever done. Um, it was a three-year process. Like, felt like at the end, especially when I was like, I know what the book should be now, but I don't know how to get it there. It was like wrestling a bear. Like, it was just, just like, fuck, how do I? Because it's such a long journey. You're like, don't see the steps you know what it should be at the end, but you don't know the steps to get there. And there's not really anybody helping you. I mean, there was way more edits and drafts than I thought there would be. And I just didn't know what I was getting. Similar to the Grand Canyon trip. I did not know what I was getting myself into. Well, that was really, I, I, I loved that. And, and the, the people on the trip with you, because you were like with a bunch of strangers on this trip. I mean, it was, it was all so fascinating, but I wanted to get to one theme in the book that I've been talking a lot about on this podcast, which is about comparing yourself and Mm. Instagram and Twitter and all of these toxic things. I'm reading a book right now called Irresistible and it's about phone addiction and addiction to literally like everything. We don't even know how much stuff we're addicted to just in terms of just being on our phones, but also like goal setting and, it's it's all so harmful and I'm beginning to see it more clearly now. And I've just, I just took off Instagram off my phone for just for a couple days to take a break from it. And man, it feels like I'm on, I feels like I'm in the Grand Canyon and like I have no cell phone reception and it's like, oh, can't, sorry. And I feel like I'm on vacation and it's just a vacation you can just give yourself by doing that. Yeah. Um, How did you like heal from the troll, like you talk about dealing with trolls and one in particular that was really aggressive and really nasty. Um, yeah. Are are you healed from all that stuff truly? Um, or does it still rear its eyes? I can't believe how different my approach, it's still, it's like a daily struggle. It is like an addiction, I would say, like of, and everybody's way of dealing with social media and whatever toxic version of it for you is different, but Mine was like getting into debates about like comedy, especially, but politics or debates and like feeling like I was really like fighting the good fight. Like women are funny and, you know, um, and talking even as scary as it was. I mean, you know, like talking about the Louis CK stuff and like, it's scary to talk about that stuff because our business is so relationship based and like, what if the wrong person reads that and then you were up for a job and you don't get it because 
they look at you and go, oh, she's one of those bitches. And you know, I'm always- What if that person that got canceled gets uncanceled and then they remember that you spoke out against them when they get uncanceled? Right. There's a lot of fear. (laughs) Our business is really fear-based. Yeah. Which is really fucked up. And But it's- um, and who you know and what cool crowd you're a part of. And like that shit really fucks with me. I mean, that that's old shit. That's like- It's high know, school. That's, that's school. high school. Right. I mean, yeah. and I've, I've always been someone who feels on the out. I mean, even if, even if others look at me and go, she's in, she's cool. I don't feel that way. I feel my state of being in, in the world is usually that I don't belong wherever I am. And I don't belong anywhere. And um except for I'm really good with long-term relationships usually like I yeah. like Scott and I like we, we are really good together and that I've got that figured out but all the other stuff friendship family you know all that is like much more complicated for me and work stuff is all mixed up in that and um but so speaking out in our business which is very click-based and sometimes cultish like there's a it's uh, I, I've no, recognized like things that happen in our business that feel like a high control group, which is like, if you speak against, then you are outcast. And, you know, there's a lot of that kind of behavior. Um, But you know me, I've always been like outspoken a little bit, but when Twitter comes along and Twitter has gotten so much more toxic over time. And um, I was getting into these battles with like trolls and stuff. And then I started fighting with like other comedians And that is when I started really, and it was a a little over a year ago, uh, was when it really came to a head and it was like getting fucking with my personal life, like my personal relationships and stuff. People were getting mad at me because I would be on my phone freaking out about something and like they weren't part of it. So they didn't understand. And I'd be like, I would be having like pure physical reaction, insane anxiety I wouldn't call panic attack exactly, but like up all night feeling like I'm crawling out of my skin, crying, having imaginary conversations with the people that I want to, things I want to say, but I can't. And like, it was like, this is so fucking stupid. And I'm just helping someone else get more podcast listeners. (laughs) I'm helping someone else make money off of my righteousness, you know, or whatever, Thing I think I'm on the side of and I was just I've written about this but like I just had to disengage and I made a rule no more talking about comedy debates on Twitter and I that sort of started to spread to anything that felt high voltage like politics certain politics like you know there's safe stuff like everybody can make fun of Trump and usually you're fine Mm -hmm. But it's the more like nuanced, like Bernie versus Elizabeth Warren or like, you know, those little, those little microcosm arguments that start popping up or like cancel culture, debate du jour, you know, all that stuff. And I had to stop because I was like, Twitter isn't the place for this. It's hurting me physically and mentally. Nothing is getting resolved. Nothing's getting resolved. It could be hurting my career because I look insane when I get into this shit. Um, but also just like not worrying about the career so much because that's part of what Twitter is for me. I'm like, I need to be relevant. I need more followers. I need to have more on there so that that I'll get more jobs. And I've just had to stop worrying about that really because this tool that was a tool at one point for all of us to express ourselves and get our comedy out there is not, is like waning in its power every day. It's like, 
So I just, I actually stuck with it. I like haven't, you can look at my feed. I have not tweeted about like anything relating to a comedy debate or canceling of a comedian or any of that. I haven't made one. I don't touch it. I don't even fave tweets about it because I'm like, I'm not even getting into this. And it's been really, really good. Like the relief I feel when I don't get involved because <laughs> the trolling that it, it would, it stopped the trolling. I silenced myself, which is a shame, but uh, I don't get trolled anymore. Yeah. You, I mean, you eliminated the, you're not able, cause I just disabled my comments on um, when I post a picture, no comments anymore. I'm done. Like for now I might go back on it but I don't want any more feedback. I don't want to hear anyone's opinion about me or any, really anything. And it sounds like you disabled your own ability to comment. Yeah, like when you realize you're being used by these platforms, like that they have set it up in a way that encourages you to read all the comments. It's it's built that way. It's not your fault. Yeah, they- Because the the more you engage, the more followers you get and the more attention you get and all that stuff. And it's like, we've seen it. You now that I've stepped back, I can see it. I'm like, Oh, that's the cycle. Like somebody calls somebody out for what they said. And then everybody piles on and then this back and forth. And like, or if you're like someone who doesn't want to see those comments, you can Instagram gives you that option where you can. And now Twitter has a no reply uh, option as well. It's, it is you know. freedom. It is, I mean, it's incredible how powerful I feel. And I've talked about it a lot recently, but I just, I, I, it was the best thing I could have done for myself is remove comments because I don't care about likes. I've never been someone who like looks at likes. I just, for whatever reason, they don't register to me the same way that a comment does. However, what you were just saying about um, when you remove your, when you stop allowing comments, that means that people with blue check marks can no longer comment on my stuff, which, you know, the tastemakers, the gatekeepers follow me. And when someone who yeah, decides that they're validation. not a special yeah. at Netflix sees that, Ooh, this famous person likes Nikki Glazer. Mm-hmm. We're going to give her a special. I'm not allowing, no, they can't do that anymore. So now right. uh, my career might be not be what I want it to be. Um, or my, I might miss out on some op- opportunities because yeah. I'm disabling those, but the benefit is so much more in the long run, I think. Um, well, and what I started, what I opened up about at the end of the book, which was one of the hardest thing. I mean, I, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot in there I've never talked about publicly before. Yeah. Even I mean, on a we podcast. did a podcast for how many years and like, Anytime uh, you had, because I knew the stuff that you weren't talking about on yeah. mic, and we would just, you know, steer around it. Yeah, you knew. Um, yeah, and, and so I knew all these things, but I'd never heard you talk about them openly. And um, that was and really, you really went in there. But what yeah, was the was thing really you were gonna say that you? So at the end of the book, when I talk about the career stuff and, and our show being canceled, and like comparing myself to you or like other people and the Twitter stuff, that was really hard to admit because it felt like I was admitting to my peers that I am not doing as good as I would like everyone to think. Right. And that was really hard to do. But then I realized that's part of what I was going through in the Grand Canyon in these past couple of years is like realizing that I'm just not going to ever feel satisfied if I tie my entire identity to how well my career is going. And I think I'm looking for, I, I was able to pinpoint through writing this book, like, what is it that I'm looking for? And it's like creative freedom is one of those things. And to feel that my stories can get out there in a way and 
um, and that I can live off of it. And that's enough. And it's hard to remember that sometimes, you know, even now, just like wanting to stay relevant and like, oh my God, I hope everything takes off and the book is a bestseller and like all those things. And um, I think that goes back to the Twitter stuff of like, our careers feel so fragile and that any moment it's all going to be taken away. And so I've had to start, and I have had like a rise and a fall. I've experienced it and I'm okay. And I'm more than okay. I'm lucky, you know, and I'm doing okay. Um, And I think what I've been trying to do is move aside those things that I'm chasing just for the sake of chasing. And, oh, I, I get this, I got this thing, you know, the half hour in Comedy Central, like I proved myself, you know, I proved to you that I'm, I belong. I belong here. It's like, I do belong here. I don't need to prove those things anymore. And I am good at what I do. And it doesn't necessarily, I get frustrated still. Like I see things going viral or people doing things that have bigger platform than me that I, that I did first. And I'm just like, fuck like I you know like you're you're out there getting probably paid or more attention for that and that's something I've been doing for a long time or whatever just dumb petty shit like that yep but I think that's the key to all these like when you feel like you're losing something by turning off your comments um no you're not you're still someone I mean I think a lot about deleting all of social media and I would love to have the freedom to do that. I'm no. not there quite yet. I just, you got to use it to promote. We don't, we don't have that freedom. I really don't think it's an option for us. If you want, I, I don't think it is quite yet. You know? And it's like, I, I have hoping that they were going to cancel that. They were like, you know, the way that they, they're going to take away TikTok. I guess. Is that still going to go on where? No, I think it's unconstitutional for them to do that, but. I wish they would. I mean, I honestly. I know. I wish they would just delete all of Instagram. I wish they could just take it away. So we didn't have a choice kind yeah. of like, you know, what COVID did in terms of like stand up. I'm like, Oh good. Now I can't do it. Oh no. <laughs> it's been, it's been awesome. But um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the comparing thing and the, the seeing what other people get, I've just, uh, it's, it, it never is. I'm reading this book right now and they just said in it, like even billionaires, once you reach a billion dollars, billionaires don't think they're doing enough because they are not multi-billionaires. And it's like, even billionaires aren't happy. And it's, it's like, unreal. Yeah. It, so it will never end. The, the person that you look at that is killing it is not like, it, it, they want something else too. They want the next thing. So it's, it's this illusion right. that we're going to achieve something and then find happiness. It's just, well, not and that you're not enough, you know, right. that, that you're, you are whole, you have to find a way to make yourself whole. And that is really what I've been. The book is about is like, I toyed, I hate, I hated it. So we ended up not doing it, but grand was the title. And then I was like, and then there could be like a subtitle that's like, uh, the grand, the journey to just okay. Yeah. Like, I hate the word journey though. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, no, let's not do that. But like yeah. that, that I have always had like these delusions of grandeur and like, oh, I'm going to, you know, reach the top and all these dreams are, and a lot of them have come true, mm-hmm. but that it's okay to just be okay. Like you don't have to be the best. You I don't know, have to be not being, that abusive therapist I had back in the day, she used to be like, you're not special. You're not better than anyone. <laughs> I mean, that was a bit anyone. much. 
She's, but it really was freeing because it was like, what is yeah. this obsession with being special and being better and being above average? And it's like, it, but, but I, I envy people who are, can be average. But you are special. Everyone in is. that, in that, the chances of this world even existing is a yes. miracle. Like, you yes. know, that everything is a miracle if you look at it, but that it, it's when you start having to be more special than someone else is when it really starts to, it, it's more about you. It's like, I'm just starting to realize like, you know, that my stuff is my stuff and your stuff is your stuff and their, their stuff is their stuff. And like, you know, and that, you never know what someone's going through meanwhile you're like you might be going to yourself like oh I am the worst I'm in the pits nobody likes me everyone hates me and you're sitting here comparing yourself to someone else who you think has it all and then you come to find out that they're miserable you know whatever and then you're like oh (laughs) you're like oh I'm sitting here crying and that person is probably having a worse day than I am so really what is it that I'm looking for here (laughs) yeah I mean when I I had a pretty big epiphany when I did Whitney Cummings podcast I was really nervous to do it she intimidates me so much she's always been someone that's like you know we've heard the numbers that she is worth we know what she's worth look at her house I mean, it's <laughs> you know, so for me, insane. it's like the house. I'm like, you know, I love houses. Oh, I'm like, Sarah, this I'm place, like, I, what it, the fuck? <laughs> it, it was, um, it was, it's the nicest place, the nicest, uh, house I'll ever walk into. And it's, <laughs> I project so much onto her and I was like, so in, I'm so in fear of her. And I always just thought that like, you know, she wouldn't, she doesn't even think of me. Like th- that was my thought. Like she's doing me a favor by even having me on. Maybe she's seen some stuff I do, but like, she wouldn't even think of me. And then turns out she's looking at me and being like, how does she do all these things so easily? And she, she had all these ideas about mm. me and it really like opened my eyes. Like Whitney Cummings worth what, $52 million Whitney Cummings with the perfect glowy skin and the full hair and the <laughs> fucking horses. She... <laughs> is looking at me like I have something that she doesn't like that to me was so insane and really put it in perspective. But I do want to go back and say like, I completely agree with you about um, admitting when you said that you were scared to admit that you were insecure about other people's success and how that would then let people know that maybe you're not successful and like shine a light on it. Oh, I mean, that's, uh, thank God you put that in there because I think that it, just being honest about that stuff because I don't think it, I don't think it did. Did it, did that happen to you? Is your biggest fear? Was it realized? Did anyone read that and go? I know of, I mean, the book is not a huge bestseller at this point. You know, it's not like uh, I have any metric to know, like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. All I know is that I know I wrote something good that I'm proud of and that it's like my story and my family's story and a human story and that every single person who has read it and talked to me has said how much they liked it. And so yeah. I kind of don't care anymore about, I had, you know, I tried, I like hired a publicist and like, you know, we're still trying to figure some things out, but like, it's a pandemic. It's August. It's an election year my book was going to be up against a fucking mountain, you know? And like, I knew, you know, like, I was like, what can I do? Like a late, like, can I be a guest on a late night show? And like all the late night shows were like, absolutely not. 
<laughs> you know, like, no. And yeah. it, it, it's because it part, I mean, I'm just not high enough stature. I'm just not big enough of a name to just be able during a pandemic to demand certain outlets to like pay attention to me. And so I had to kind of accept that and be like, okay, you know, and I think five years ago I would be on the, I would be in a depression. I would be crying over stuff, something like that. Like any sort of, um, any, any, uh, let down would have or destroying me back then. Yeah. Now I'm just like, you know what? Like, I know I did something good here and I have no question that it's quality work and that it's like the best thing I've ever made. And Mm -hmm. so we'll see what happens with it. And I know that it's a book, so it lives forever and like people can buy it forever. And, and, um, you know, but yes, my fear of like people finding out and thinking Sarah Schaefer, I mean, it's like, it's like me admitting I had food on my face. Like everyone can already see it. Like there's nothing that I'm saying in this book that people about my career that people didn't already know. I mean, like, you know, we try, Oh, I've got stuff in the cooker. I have things I can't announce yet. Well, (laughs) you can can create that illusion. It it does take, it's just, it's about admitting your, the things that you're so scared that other people might pick up on. Like I really struggled with, like I struggled with the fact that my hair was falling out for like months before I started talking about it on my podcast or like openly on my Instagram. Like, cause the last thing I wanted to do is draw attention to it and have people go, is it like, wait, wait, we want to see, that's my biggest fear is that. I'll, I'll announce some insecurity and then people go, Oh my God, we never did notice. She looked like Owen Wilson. Like that's why the, the <laughs> roast was devastating. Cause it was like, Oh no, don't draw attention to the fact that I have known this forever that I kind of look like a dude with long hair. Yeah. Like, that is my, and now everyone's going to see it. And now all the men that might like me will never get, be able to get Owen Wilson out of their head. And now they'll know it. And as soon as I just got more comfortable about talking about my hair falling out and like that stuff, it kind of just, I mean, it, it, it freed me so much from it because it was just something that I was just so scared to put out there because I was scared that, yeah, it was the food on my face that people were then going to see and like now use it against me to make fun of me or to, um, or it would just get worse. And then, but it's, and it's still something that I'm like, Oh God, I don't know if I can talk about it on stage or like actively when there could be like immediate feedback of someone being like, Oh yeah, I can tell or whatever. Like, for right now, I'm just putting it out there in a way that's like, I don't really get feedback on it, but it's, um, I think it's all, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, it, it's the best. I just found that your book was so honest and, um, you just talked about so much stuff that I know that you struggled to admit publicly before. And I just thought it was, um, I mean, even reading about the way you perceived the difference between us when we mm-hmm. had our show on MTV, of like you, you were the person that was, you were the, the, the host between the two of us, you were the one that was like scared to ask for things and like, didn't want to ruffle any feathers and was just happy to be there. And I was the one that was like, just would take a nap. You were like, she would just like take a nap on the floor. I remember it. I came across that picture the other day, like in the middle of shooting a sketch, we'd have like, you know, they would like be resetting and I'd be like, I'm just going to go take a nap on the floor and just not being, being, feeling 
not necessarily entitled, but like kind of like, okay, yeah, I deserve these things and it's okay to ask for it. And, and I never even noticed that that would be something that you had noticed, um, or or that was a difference between us. There was kind of some eye opening things there in terms of your perception of, of that time. And yeah, it was just a, it was really great to relive the, the countdown. Like it's one of the best moments in the book or the the most like kind of, um, uh, adrenaline rushes in the book of, when you're doing the countdown to when we went live for the first time on MTV. Yeah. Our show was live. Why? TRL Studios <laughs> at 11 o'clock Eastern. What was it? Was it that? Yeah, 11.30 probably. Yeah. 11 or 11.30, yeah. Live. And we never toasted a show before. And there's a countdown. And Tom is counting us down. And, and you mm-hmm. do the countdown. And it's like, and it, uh, that was... I relived that all over again, standing in the hallway with you, doing the um, Wonder Woman Wonder pose Woman. to feel like we're like confident. I can't believe we hosted that show when we were so young and had no idea what we were doing. No it, um, idea. It was and so it was just fun. so crazy, yeah. I mean, and like, it was, that's why I'm like, I want that feeling again, even though I'm idealizing some of it, you know, obviously it was incredibly stressful and frustrating at times, which I did talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that feeling of like being in charge, um, making what we wanted to make within the confines, you know, the crazy confines they gave us and like all the fun of it. Of several layers of things. When like admitting, you know, I've gone through since then because I haven't really had much else on camera stuff, but I've been doing stand up this whole time. And I've still been performing um, of just like, maybe I should just stop being on an on camera personality or even stop doing stand up. Like maybe I should just be a writer. I know I'm really good at that. I, that's the work I get, but then I would still be getting stand up work. So I'd be like, well, I still have something. And I think I was always just been seeking that feeling that I had and, you know, I think, and then, you know, the, like, you know, the fear of getting older and like irrelevant and like physically not as cute as I was, like all those worries come in that you're like, well, there might not even be a chance for me to ever be on camera again. I'm not seeking, like I, I pitched shows since um, Nikki and Sarah, some with me in it, actually only one with me in it. And then the rest, I've just been pitching stuff that's like, uh, like trying to get ideas off the ground that I'm just the showrunner and that I'm not even in, you know? And there's been a little bit of lately where I'm like, well, what, what, why am I shutting myself off from a part of myself? That was the Green Canyon thing was like, I had just become really inward and actually become really private over the past few years uh, and didn't want to share part of myself with the world because I had convinced myself no one wanted to hear from me. Right. And that I had nothing funny to say, you know, even though I was still going through the motions of doing, you know how it is, like you're doing stand-up, you're going through the motions, you're very, I mean, you you especially are like so fucking good at it, but I know at times you've been like, I hate this. Oh, yeah, and that, you and know? also thought that I was terrible and should quit and that I've been, um, uh, it's it's all been a lie and the right. only reason like I got by is because people right. were stupid and they didn't know better and ugh, right all, all that stuff and I'm like why am I shutting off parts of myself that I still enjoy um so you know I've done little things we I have more than I realize 
I have more resources than I realize. And I, you know, want to return a little bit to my roots of like back when we were making our podcast and like doing our own, these, this is the days of DIY. Why am I waiting for some, sometimes I feel like I'm waiting for approval from some unknown, like cool crowd. Yeah. To be able to do anything, but the, the, you don't need that anymore. And we, we didn't, no. you're right. We started Nikki and Sarah live came about because we started a podcast when no one asked us to, no one needed it. We thought uh, it was 2010 and we were like, God, podcasts, everyone has a podcast they don't need another podcast. I mean, there weren't a lot of women in podcasts at the time. We were like, it, it was on the early side of that but even we thought that there were too many podcasts i remember being like no one needs another podcast i mean that's (laughs) the same thing people were saying back then in 2010 now it's 10 years later and it's like it's it's the same like the way the way i'm thinking about podcasts so people keep saying that and i'm like you know no one says we don't need another stand-up comedian no because you, it's a, it's an art, it's a form of expression, and so I don't care if every single comedian has a podcast, especially now when you don't have a stage. Yeah, if I know. You have an audience that wants to listen to it. What the fuck do I care? I mean, I might be starting a podcast, and I do. The little voice in my head is constantly like, "Nobody needs this. Nobody wants this. No one wants to hear from you. You're gonna have nobody listening to it." <laughs> you know, but it's not like- even about that. Because even if no one listens to it, and, and certainly people will listen to yours, but even if you're a comedian out there who has like no fans, no fault, like you don't have anything yet, it's just good. Just put something out there because it yeah. all is building towards what you end up doing that people will consume. And it's like, it's, yeah. it's about figuring out what you, what brings you joy because that that's really what, I, I mean, I got into standup because it brought me joy and then it started not bringing me joy. And now I have to reapproach it to find out how it can bring me joy again, or I'm not going to keep doing it. I really won't. I just, I'll do a gig here and there to make some money. But I, in terms of doing it all the time, unless I find happiness doing it again, I can't do it. And I would have kept doing it forever at the pace I was doing it where it wasn't bringing me joy. It was totally empty. I was doing it because I had gigs booked and, um, and now I'm, I've give, gotten this opportunity to like reassess and be like, what makes me happy? And like writing, like playing guitar and singing makes me happy. And I've always been so scared to do it because I'm not Taylor Swift. I can never be her. So why even try? And now I'm like, well, you can be something like you can be your own thing. That isn't, you're never going to be Taylor Swift, but Tom Waits is successful and his voice is disgusting. Like, you know, like there's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll start an ASMR channel. Like I, I could do anything. And it's, it does, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as long as it's going to make me happy. I just, I just want to be happy. Yeah. And you you are more than you probably realize, you know, I really, I, I, I actually am. And, um, I'm so happy to talk to you though. Uh, and reading yeah. your book was like a true joy and I can't recommend it enough. I've talked about it on the show before, but um, please read Sarah Schaefer's book, Grand. Get it on your phone, get it wherever books are sold. Um, zip on through it. You will have such a good time. It is so funny. Um, consume her stand up. She has a half hour Comedy Central Presents. She also has a stand up album called Chrysalis that is available on all the streaming platforms. That is so incredibly funny. Um, and follow her on Twitter and Instagram. Is it still Sarah Schaefer one? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We fucked that up. Serious guys. Um, let me know, um, if you read it, let Sarah know, follow her and, um, let it know what it, uh, what it means to you. It it meant a lot to me, Sarah. Um, it was so freaking good. I'm so proud of you. Squirt, squirt, jackpot.
This has been a Comedy Central podcast. <laughs> <laughs>